Sounds like a good deal. Well, welcome. Um, as Marian said, my name is Liz Wynandy, and I'm one of the registered dietitians at the Med Center here. I work predominantly in the outpatient clinic, the Cramblet Clinic. Um, I also do some inpatient. Um, I teach a weight loss class. We kind of all do a variety of many different things. Um, we don't have handouts for you today. We are saving some trees because, as Marian said, this will be online. You'll be able to see this as a podcast. If you guys have any, you know, if you have any questions as we go throughout the presentation, please just stop, raise your hand, and ask me. Um, if you want to, you can feel free to contact me. My email address is there, and I can also give you my phone number if anyone would like that um, as well after the program. So, I'm going to pass around this exchange list. Well, this will kind of make more sense as we get into um, the program. I'll just start it with you, sir. If you just want to pass it around, you can take a look. You may want to take a few minutes, actually. There's no rush in getting it around. You can kind of look through that. If anybody would like a copy of that, we can also, um, you, well, you can contact the American Diabetes Association, or if you want to contact um, our department, we could probably sell you one of those. We don't give them out free. They're $1.50, but as you can imagine, it starts to add up after a while. So... Okay, we're going to talk about how diet affects blood glucose levels today. I hope you're, that's what you're all here for, right? No one's in the wrong presentation. Okay, a few objectives. Can everybody see this? I will have to get up to change it, so I'm probably going to be in your way a little bit. Um, but at the end of the presentation, hopefully you'll be able to describe how different food components actually affect your blood sugar levels. Um, most people probably already know if, you know if you're someone who has diabetes or you know someone who has diabetes that there are certain foods that you may want to avoid eating too much of. Um, so that's you know, one of the food components we'll be talking about. You'll also see blood glucose abbreviated throughout the presentation as BG. So when you see that BG, that's not Bowling Green, that's blood glucose. Um, I'm from Finley, Ohio, so Bowling Green's close by. Uh, you'll also be able to read a food label. How many read a food labels right now? Almost everybody. That's wonderful. That is great. So I'm going to show you maybe a couple different things. You, nothing that you haven't seen on a food label, obviously, but maybe a couple different things that you want to look at, um, you know, in order to help control your blood sugars a little bit better. And then also count grams of carbohydrates. So we used to teach, probably in the last five years, we've really gotten into counting grams of carbohydrates. It's called carb counting. Um, we used to teach more of the exchange system. And as you look through this book, you'll see that foods are categorized by exchanges. There's the starch group. Um, it's categorized as a carb exchange. And there's protein and fat exchanges. We really no longer do that, and I'll discuss why here in a second. But we're teaching carb counting, so that's what I wanted to go over with you all briefly today. So, all right. Let's go ahead. Okay, diabetes in the U.S. 20.8 million children and adults, which is 7% of the population, has diabetes. Um, so 20.8 million have diabetes. I think that number is huge. What's even more disturbing, you look at the diagnosed and the undiagnosed, 6.2 million undiagnosed. But look at this pre-diabetes number. 54 million people in the United States are diagnosed or classified as being pre-diabetic. That just blows me away. Um, for years we've been hearing, everyone in the medical community has been hearing, diabetes is going to become an epidemic. Well, it's here and it's fastly approaching. Um, 54 million people who have elevated blood sugar levels, maybe not to the point yet where they're considered to be diabetic, but they may have some insulin resistance going on, um, which is kind of one of the first stages of actually pushing people into diabetes. So you can see 1.5 new, um, million new cases of diabetes were diagnosed to people aged 20 years and older in two, or 2005. 
This number, the large um, number, is actually largely due to adult onset diabetes, which is type 2. Type 1, as most of you probably know, is considered, it's called juvenile diabetes. And that usually happens um, at a younger age, oftentimes in children, where their pancreas just no longer secretes um, either enough insulin or makes any insulin at all. So the, the, large, the large majority of that number is going to be the adult onset type. Um, we know that people with diabetes have an increased health risk. They have increased health risk for heart disease, high cholesterol, stroke, um, all kinds of vascular diseases, eye disease, kidney disease. Does anybody know exactly what diabetes does to your body, why you have all these increased risks? I have, I'm always, do you? Yeah. It damages the nerves and also the blood vessels. I'm always amazed at how many people come into my office and they have no idea that people know diabetes is bad and they know you, know you don't want high blood sugar levels, but they don't know what it actually does. High blood sugar running throughout your circulatory system actually destroys those veins in, all, in your arteries. It really acts almost like um, a corrosive agent, so to speak. Okay, so it really destroys your, your circulatory system, those blood vessels. Um, you think about the large arteries around the heart. When you start to have, when you have the high blood sugar levels, and this is after years and years of high blood sugar levels typically, you know, it's, it really starts to destroy those veins around the heart, you can, and that's, um, incre that increases your risk for plaque buildup around your heart. It also destroys the smallest blood vessels in our body known as capillaries. You have a lot of those capillaries in your eyes and in your kidneys as well as in your peripherals. So everyone's always heard of somebody that, you know, someone with diabetes that maybe had to have a foot amputated or a toe or something. Think about how many, you know, you've got all of those smallest little blood vessels in those peripheries, and that's, you know, those are what get destroyed eventually. People with diabetes, of course, we know that their eyesight starts to go. You've got tons of capillaries in your eyes and then your kidneys, too. So lots of good reasons to control blood sugar levels. Okay. Factors that impact blood glucose levels, um, your food. We're going to talk mainly about your food today, obviously. Uh, maintaining a healthy weight is very important. And then also uh, physical activity. Physical activity will, it kind of acts like natural insulin, so to speak. If you're, um, after you eat, your blood sugars go up. If you get out and exercise, you take a walk, you do something, it will help to naturally bring your blood sugar levels down. Okay, your muscles use sugar from your bloodstream. It's going to pull sugar out of your bloodstream for energy, so it naturally brings your blood sugar levels down. Um, it also can help to increase the sensitivity of insulin to the cells. So other things can affect your blood glucose levels too. You know, of course, medications, um, stress, illness, all of that. Um, but we're going to talk about these three aspects mainly today. Any questions so far? Okay. Food is made up of three basic components. Most of you guys probably know this. You've got carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Okay? And what food component affects the blood glucose levels the most? Everybody usually knows, all right? It's the carbs. Now, let's, let's think up of a mantra. Actually, I'm going to tell you a mantra right now. We're going to say it the rest of the presentation. Carbohydrates are not evil. Um, I have so many people coming in the office saying, oh, shouldn't I be following a low-carb diet? Um, I teach a weight loss class. I have so many people in that class. Sometimes it takes people the whole three months to get out of their heads that they can actually eat carbohydrates. Carbs are not evil. The problem with the carbohydrates is really in ourselves in that most people are eating too many carbs, and we typically eat too many of the wrong types. 
okay? Your body prefers carbohydrates as a source of energy. Your brain wants carbohydrates as its main source of energy. It, it runs off of glucose mainly. Um, if you follow a very low-carb diet, you actually go into an unnatural state called ketosis. Um, it's not good. That's what Atkins diet actually puts you into. And you'll absolutely burn off fat. You'll absolutely lose weight. And you know what? The second that you start eating carbs again, you gain it all back. So I'm not even going to get into whole Atkins thing today, but <laughs> unless somebody asks me, and then I'll get on my soapbox. Okay. Carbs um, definitely affect blood glucose the most. Proteins affect your blood glucose levels very little, and fats will affect your blood glucose levels very, very little. Um, the thing with fat is that if you eat a, a high-carb meal, it's going to push your blood sugars up. If you eat a lot of fat with it, the fat will keep your blood sugars up higher for a longer period of time. Okay? The carbs are the main thing to focus on, though, if you have diabetes, if you're looking at keeping your blood sugar levels under control. Okay? All right. Um, the American Diabetes Association, they recommend that your carbohydrates comprise at least half of all your calories. So we're really looking 50 to about 60% of your um, total calories for the day. Low-carb diets are not recommended. Low-carb diets are really defined as anything less than about 120, 130 grams of carbohydrate. Okay? Um, most people, just to give you an idea, most people eat closer to around 200 grams of carbohydrate a day. Okay, which is, which is normal. That's not bad. We'll get into some examples and you'll see. Um, recommendation is for protein to be at about 15 to 20% of your calories, mostly from low-fat sources. And the reason for this is that most of your protein sources that are higher in fat are higher in saturated fat, which is the type of fat that we want to avoid. Okay, that's the unhealthy type of fat. Um, and then fat should be somewhere around 30%. Now, how many of you guys maybe worked for years and years at following a real low-fat diet? Yeah. You know, I did too in college in the early 90s. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the bad thing about nutrition, and I hear, I hear people say this all the time, you know, they told me coffee was bad for me yesterday, coffee's good for me today, this kind of thing. The problem with um, nutrition, and it's not really a problem if you think of it in this sense, but it's an evolving science because it's largely based on a lot of research, and we have new research coming out all the time. We know that fat is not necessarily bad for us. It's not so much the fat as much as the type of fat, okay? We'll touch on this briefly throughout the presentation today, but I just want you all to know that, you know, fat is, um, like carbs, are not evil. It's really, you know, if you're eating too much, of course, it can cause excess body weight to accumulate. But um, fat, keeping it at about 30% is a moderate level. You don't need to go down to the Dean Ornish 5 or 10%, which is very, very hard, almost impossible to actually maintain. Okay, getting back to carbs, what foods have carbohydrate in them? Most people probably know this. You've got your starches, which are things like breads, pasta, rice, tortilla shells, um, starchy vegetables or potatoes, corn and peas. Um, your fruit, fruit's almost 100% carb. Dairy products, and when I say dairy, I mean specifically milk and yogurt. Um, in the diabetic world, so to speak, we actually lump cheese and cottage cheese as a meat substitute. And, in, and when I say in the diabetic world, it's really how we categorize food based on the carbohydrate content. So because cheese and cottage cheese are low in carbohydrate, they're actually considered meat substitutes. Dairy is actually considered to be one of the uh, groups that have more carbohydrate in them, and that's because milk and yogurt both have a little bit more carb. Okay, um, desserts and sweets. Of course, lots of sugar, flour, um, lots of carbs in those. 
and um, non-starchy vegetables. It's kind of another separate category. They're considered to be a carbohydrate group because they're predominantly carbohydrate. However, they are extremely low in carb and they're high in fiber. You can usually eat a lot of non-starchy vegetables or at least a fairly good amount um, without really affecting your blood sugar levels that much. So, do you have a question? Oh, you in the red? Okay, you look like you were gonna get a question. Okay. So we have different types of carbs as well. We have simple and processed. This, is, this may be actually one of the bigger issues um, or one of the bigger problems that we as Americans face today, that we still eat a lot of the really refined carbohydrates. We eat a lot of refined white flour, uh, you know, even whole wheat flour, unless it's whole grain, a lot of it is just unbleached flour with a little bit of extra fiber. Anybody check the food labels on your bread and you notice that maybe a slice of whole grain bread or what you think is whole grain is whole wheat bread has one gram of carb and then you look at your white and it may have one also. Um, that's very common with a lot of whole wheat bread. Um, we still, it, it, it's largely processed. So we're still eating a lot of very processed foods. Um, we still eat a lot of sugar. There's so much sugar added to so many of our food products. It's just amazing. Um, if you look at the labels, you look at ingredients, and sugar's added to a lot of things. So those are the simple and processed carbs. You've got complex carbs, which are higher in fiber. Those are going to be all of your whole grains, um, your whole wheat pasta, your whole green bread. You have to be cautious. Um, some products, I think, I think we're, I think more and more food manufacturers are trying to get whole grains into their products. Um, and trying to make foods healthy, or at least appear so. Um, and you really have to be careful. Some things, like General Mills has made a big push to get more whole grains in their cereal. I will tell you, though, if you look at the grams of fiber on those cereals um, labels, a lot of them are still pretty low. So they may have added whole grains, but it may not be real significant. So as a consumer, you have to kind of be, be cautious and be educated about that. Um, and then fiber is actually a type of carbohydrate. Fiber is unique, though, um, in that it's not digested. You know, fiber really acts as a broom, goes through us, and kind of helps to sweep us out. We know it's really good at a whole, at doing a lot of things. You know, it can, may prevent certain kinds of cancer, especially colon cancer. It may decrease our risks for, you know, heart disease and all these other things. When it comes to blood glucose levels, fiber is actually beneficial because it slows digestion digestion down a little bit. Therefore, your carbohydrate, as it's digested. It's not digested quite as quickly, and therefore it's converted to glucose at a slower rate, and therefore your blood sugars go up more slowly. Okay? Any time that we can avoid a rapid increase in our blood sugar levels, that's a good thing. So fiber is very good at doing this. Um, we see a lot. We actually educate quite a few pregnant women who de develop diabetes during pregnancy. It's called gestational diabetes. Um, I've had several, um, several dozen women probably tell me that once they eat um, salads or if they eat salads with a meal, then their blood sugar levels actually do not go up quite as much, it, uh, you know, as compared to if they ate the meal without the, the salad. So your fiber, high fiber foods can actually help to kind of blunt that blood sugar response. Um, okay, so the goal here with carbohydrates is you want to eat moderate amounts of carb throughout the day. This is really hard for um, a lot of people to do, and not, not just Americans, a lot of people in other cultures too. Typically, you know, the bigger meal is at night. Um, a lot of Americans, we're eating no breakfast or very little breakfast. We might eat kind of a regular standard lunch, and then we save a lot of our calories for later at night. 
The idea with the carbohydrates is you want to take all the carb that you're eating and you want to think about pulling it out, kind of stretching it out, so you're eating moderate amounts of carb throughout the day. By eating consistent, consistent amounts of carb throughout the day, your blood sugar levels will be much better controlled. So this means eating three meals a day. Um, snacks are definitely optional, but it's a great idea to eat snacks if you're going to go more than about four or five hours without eating. Most, I think most people generally go at least five, if not more, hours between lunch and dinner, too. That's one area I see a lot of people have problems where they'll eat lunch. They don't eat anything much during the day, and then by the time dinner comes at, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock at night, they're starving, and then they eat a huge load of food. Um, and sometimes they eat a lot of snacks after dinner, too. Um, that's just really going to, if you have blood sugar problems, it's going to push your blood glucose up high, and it's going to keep it elevated for a much longer period of time throughout the night. Those are also the people, too, who typically say, I'm not hungry in the morning, you know. Um, when I say, you know, you really need to eat breakfast, and they'll say, well, I'm not hungry. Well, that's because they've eaten so much the night before. So it's really a matter of reallocating those calories and those carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend for breakfast? Because I find that, like, I'll mm. eat cereal and I'll, like, I've been eating oatmeal with raisins mm -hmm. and, and walnuts and skim milk. Well, I'm starving by 9 yep. o'clock. I hear this so often. I and I'm, I'm in the same boat. If I eat bran cereal, uh -huh. I'm at 8 o'clock, I'm starving by 10, okay. two hours later. And the reason for that is it's because your milk has a little bit of protein, but not a lot. It's got a fair amount of carb. Um, your cereal is mostly carbs, so you're eating, your blood sugars go up, your body you know, secretes insulin to bring it down, and you're feeling very hungry. When, when your blood sugars start to come down, that's when you feel hungry. Um, what you need to probably do is find something that has more protein in it. Um, eggs are wonderful. If you're worried about cholesterol, if your cholesterol levels are high, um, you can always go with the egg white. You could do one egg yolk a few times a week. You could do egg whites, because the egg white's nothing but pure protein. The cholesterol and actually a lot of the vitamins and minerals are in that yolk. Um, you could also do peanut butter is great. Now, it's higher in fat, but it's a very healthy type of fat. It's a monounsaturated fat. Um, eating a piece of toast with a tablespoon, maybe up to two tablespoons of peanut butter would be good. And you have to think, uh, you're concerned, you know, you may be thinking that's too much fat. Um, it's a little higher in fat, but a tablespoon is 100 calories. If you keep your calories about even, you'll probably be fine. So more protein um, and less carbs. I, but, yeah, I hear that all the time. A lot of people are really sensitive to, to any kind of cereal. It's the milk in the cereal, especially if it's a sugar, a high sugar-containing cereal. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thanks. Yeah. Try it out for a few mornings and see if it doesn't work going with a higher-protein one. Okay. Um, let's go on here. This is just a graph. This kind of shows you what we typically recommend for people. You'll see here, um, you've got three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Each one of them is 60 grams of carbohydrate. And then you've got two snacks. You've got a mid-morning snack, and you've got a mid-afternoon snack, 30 grams each. Now, it may seem like a lot of carb, and we'll kind of get into, you know, what exactly, how much carb is in, you know, a slice of bread or a cup of oatmeal or, or whatnot. We'll get into that a little bit later. But by eating, you know, consistent amounts of carb throughout the day here, you can see your blood sugars kind of go up. They go up a little higher, obviously, at meals because you've got a higher carbohydrate load. But this is very normal, and these are actually good blood sugar curves. Um, for someone who skips breakfast, their blood sugar is going to stay pretty low, and then they might eat lunch. It might go up. Typically what they're going to do, though, if you skip breakfast, I will tell you, you will almost always make up for those calories. 
and it's going to be later in the day. I have people say, I don't eat breakfast because I eat breakfast, and then I'm so hungry the rest of the day. It makes me much more hungrier. I will, I, I will almost guarantee that you are going to make up for those calories, and you'll make up from a big way. Usually here at dinner, most people eat the huge load. It goes up pretty high, and then they're also eating. They're snacking a lot of times after dinner, um, and it just really does your blood sugar levels in. So this is what we're looking for. We're looking for nice, consistent waves instead of huge peaks and valleys in your blood sugar levels. Does it make sense? The carbohydrates are what push your blood sugar up. So by taking the total amount of carb that you eat and spreading it out throughout the day, you're not pushing it up as high any one time, and you're getting more consistent, more level blood sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we can talk about glycemic index, and I actually don't have any slides based on that. Um, and the glycemic index kind of gets more, it's more along the lines of the processed and less processed. Um, take glycemic index with a grain of salt, though, in that there are a lot of things that are not accounted for in that glycemic index. It's really good in the lab, but maybe not so good when you take it to a realistic approach. Um, the reason for that is with glycemic index, you know, certain foods, I know watermelon, mangoes, are extremely high on the index side. Um, so you might think, oh, I shouldn't eat those. Well, they're very healthy for you. You can still eat them. You have to think you are usually combining foods as, as a meal or a snack. Um, glycemic index does not take into account when you eat foods that have protein in them or even with fat. So once you eat, once you start mixing foods up, your glycemic index number will change all over. You could eat watermelon at the end of a meal. The glycemic index is going to be pulled way down if you have, you know, some protein in that meal. So it's not, it's not bad. I mean, it does give you an idea that it can really push your blood sugar up. If you're kind of carb sensitive, you may not want to eat a lot of a high, of a, of a food item with a high glycemic index. Um, but it, it's, it doesn't take into the amount or the amount of food that you're eating at that time, and it doesn't really take into account very well the other foods you're mixing it with. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. All right. So let's move on. Okay. So how much carbohydrate really should you be taking in? It's really an individualized approach. It's, it really is dependent quite largely on your gender. Men, fortunately for you guys, um, usually burn more calories. You have more muscle mass as a whole. So men can usually take in more carbohydrates, more calories overall. Um, your age is a huge factor. Your activity level. Do you have a desk job where you're sitting down and you're sedentary most of the day, or are you a construction worker? You know, um, And obviously with your blood sugar levels too, if your blood glucose levels, if you have diabetes, your blood glucose levels look pretty good, you may be able to take in more carbohydrate than someone whose blood sugar levels um, look, pretty, look pretty poor. Generally for weight loss, we recommend about 45 grams of carb per meal for women and about 60 grams for men. That is very much a generalization though. Please keep in mind that everybody is different. Uh, what we, actually what we would do if any one of you would come to me to see me and say, you know, how many grams of carbs should I be eating? We usually take the total number of calories that you should be eating, and then we usually take about 50, anywhere from 50 to 60% of those, and we convert that into carbohydrate, and then we break it up. You know, are you someone who wants to snack mid-morning and mid-afternoon? Um, do you want to snack just in the afternoon? And, you know, then work with you and spread those carbohydrates out. So that's kind of what happens. You want to make sure, though, again, that you are taking at least 130 grams minimum because you don't want to put yourself into that um, state of ketosis we talked about earlier. Here's an example, an 1,800-calorie diet. Um, if you... Take, if you take 55% uh, of those calories from carbohydrate, it's going to be about 250 grams of carb total. 
um, and that would break out to about 60 grams of carb per each meal and then 35 grams of carb for a couple of snacks, okay? Um, 225 grams of carb would be 50 per, or 225 grams of carbohydrate total would be actually 50% of your calories from carbohydrate. Remember we said we want at least 50 to 60% of your calories to come from carbohydrate. So that would break down to about 60 grams of carb each meal and then 20 to 25 grams of carb for two snacks. If you wanted one snack, you could really take that other 20 and you could spread it out between your three meals. Okay? You just don't want to go too high at your meals, again, because if you eat too many carbs at one time, it'll probably push your blood sugar levels up too high. Okay. Okay. Um, the other thing, too, a lot of times with blood sugar levels, um, weight loss usually goes hand in hand. A 10% decrease in weight if your blood sugars are elevated will usually show dramatic improvement in your blood glucose levels. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're thinking about losing weight, just remember it's not all about the carbs. This is why the low-carb diets don't work. Total calories absolutely matter, and you're looking at low to moderate fat intake. Um, and you want to remember by limiting your carbs, not eliminating them, is where people will generally lose weight. So we're looking at, again, moderate carb intake to help control blood sugar levels and for weight loss. And that's because most people, most of us remember, we over, tend to overeat on carbohydrate. At the end of the meal, how many people in here have this problem? Because I know I do. At the end of a meal, there's always room for dessert. Could you always eat something sweet? Or if you're not a sweet person, maybe there's always room for another roll or there's room for something salty. Usually, though, when you think about eating something else, it's, or when you think about if you overeat on any type of food, it's usually something carb nature. I mean, you don't ever get to the end of the meal and think, gee, I'd like another, I'd like a fried egg, you know? Um, it's usually a carbohydrate. Okay, let's talk about label reading. Um, it's very important in managing your blood glucose levels. And carbohydrate counting, as I spoke about earlier, is one of the cornerstones to really making sure that you are um, doing things right. If you count your carbohydrate grams, you're going to have a real good idea of what you're taking in. I just saw a gentleman in my office this morning, and he's actually been a diabetic for almost 40 years. He says, I asked him, he, he told me he was carb counting, and I said, do you carb count all of your foods? He goes, well, he goes, I kind of look at my meals and I have a pretty good idea of what I'm taking in. We started to go through what he's taken in for the past few days because he bought it, brought in a food record. And he said, well, I probably had a little bit more of this. I said, well, you know, looking at his grams of carbohydrate, he had written down, I said, well, did you have, you know, a half a cup of these potatoes? Well, probably maybe closer to a cup. But he had written down, you know, 15, 12 or 15 grams. Um, if you have a cup, that's actually closer to 30. So portion size is important, um, and really ac accurately counting carbohydrate grams can really kind of show you what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. So you want to look on a food label, and we'll take a look at a food label here in a second. You want to look at the total carbohydrate grams. You will notice you have total grams of carbohydrate, and then underneath that you also have a breakout. You'll have grams of dietary fiber, grams of sugar. You want to look at the total grams of carbohydrate. That's what's real important, okay? A lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, I eat a lot of low-sugar things. My cereal is low-sugar. Um, but if it's high still in total grams of carbohydrate, um, that will affect your blood sugar levels. Sugar, remember, is just one type of carbohydrate. If your dietary fiber, if you eat, if the dietary fiber is 5 grams or more, so if you're eating high-fiber foods, you can actually subtract the grams of carb from the total carbohydrate. And everyone's probably heard of this term, the net carbs in a food item. And that is just, it's total carbs minus grams of fiber. Because remember, fiber 
even though it's a carbohydrate, it's a type of carbohydrate, it's not digested, therefore it's not converted to glucose, and it doesn't raise our blood sugars, okay? So let's take a look at a couple food labels. Here's the first one. This is chili with beans. A um, couple important things to look at. Always look at the serving size. Serving size here is one cup, and then servings per container, which is two. Now this is probably a can of chili with beans, and most people, if you open a can of something like that, you're probably going to eat the whole thing. The information listed down here, you know, the fat, the sodium, the total carb, all this, that is for the one serving. So just remember, if you eat the whole can, there's two servings there, you have to double everything. Um, in this case, total carbohydrates is 22, and the dietary fiber is 9. Um, and as the general rule of thumb, since it's over 5 grams, it's 5 grams or greater, we can subtract the fiber from that total carb number. So 22 minus 9 is 13. That's 13 grams of carbohydrate that's going to affect your blood sugar. If you eat the whole can, 13 times 2, 26. So why don't you subtract if it's under 5? Because it's really not that significant if it's under 5. Um, you know, if you wanted to, you really probably could, but you're not, you're, it's going to be pretty insignificant. So, so we recommend, as a general rule of thumb, it's five or more. So that's it. That's carb counting. Mm -hmm. Not that big of a deal, huh? Uh-huh. Is it 25 grams of fiber a day? Yeah, you want to get a minimum of 25. 25 to 35. And don't go crazy. Some people go 50, 60 grams. You know, there is too much of a good thing. Not only will you have a lot of bloating and gas, but if you eat too much fiber, you can actually decrease your absorption of some nutrients. So 25 to 35. Most Americans get about 10 a day. So, okay. You'll see underneath this total carb number, you see sugars listed there. And, of course, it's got the sugars and the fiber. That equals 13. So where are the other 9 grams of carb? Well, though, sometimes some food labels will have other carbohydrates listed on there. Some of them don't. Um, they don't always have the full breakout underneath that, but the total grams of carbohydrate is what you want to look at the most. Take a look at one more label here. Um, this is half a cup. I don't even know actually what food item this is. This was a food label I pulled off of the Diabetes Association. Half a cup is a serving size, four servings per container. Total carb is 13 grams, so 13 grams for each half cup. Dietary fiber, three. Probably really wouldn't subtract the fiber from this. Um, and as you can see there, too, they break out. They list sugar again, too. Most people want to know how much sugar is in the product. But again, um, I'll just stress the importance of looking at that total carb number because that's what's going to affect your blood sugar. Any questions about that? Any other questions about any other part of the label? It's a fairly um, good food, whatever it is, because it's got a fair amount of 80% of your vitamin a and 60% of vitamin C, 4% of iron, and 4% of calcium. So it's fairly low in sodium too, or moderate at least. Okay, so what if a food label doesn't, or what if a food item doesn't have a label? And that's where that book that's being passed around, you can kind of get an idea of food items um, and their carb content from that. You know, things like produce aren't going to have food labels, obviously, specialty cheeses, um, any of your meats, poultry, seafood. It, maybe, you know, you go at Thanksgiving time and your grandma's got some casserole. How many grams of carbohydrate on that? It's a nightmare trying to figure out carbohydrates for things like casseroles, too. It's pretty hard. Um, restaurant foods um, and alcohol. A lot of these things you can look up on websites. Um, you can buy a calorie um, counter or a carb counter book. 
A couple of the good ones, uh, one of the best ones that I really like is this Calorie King. There's a website you can go to, and then they also have a book. And they, I, I think it's, it's like $7.99. I think it's about $8, $8 at Barnes & Noble. You can also go to the American Diabetes and the American Dietetic Association for more information. Um, FitDay.com is another website. Calorie King and FitDay both are completely free. You have to log into FitDay, and, of course, they always want you to buy some software or package, but you don't have to. Um, Calorie King I like a lot because they have the restaurants. They have a, a large array of restaurant information. You've been on it before? Uh, I don't eat at restaurants unless I know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, it's so good, too. If you can look before, obviously, before you go to that restaurant, um, look up and decide what you're going to eat before you go. Any of your fast food restaurants, all of, you know, all of those have their information online. A lot of the chains do now, too. It's a little harder when you get to, you know, the local mom-and-pop places. Um, I don't even know. I, honestly, I don't even know if, like, Cameron Mitchell's, do you know? I bet. I don't think restaurants, like even the Cameron Mitchell restaurants, probably have their information. So that's where if you have a good base of knowledge and you know a third of a cup of cooked pasta is 15 grams of carb, then you have a good idea. You can usually eyeball those things a little bit better. Um, in general, though, and this is in that book, if you look through it, fruit, one serving, which is about four ounces, it's about half a cup of fresh fruit, quarter cup of dry fruit, or four ounces of fruit juice, um, each serving of fruit is going to be about 15 grams of carb. So remember, I said for weight loss, most women would do 45 grams of carb per meal, and men would do 60. You're going to start to see where it adds up quickly. I've had people say, oh, that's so many grams of carbohydrate. Or you think 250 grams a day, that's a lot. It really does add up pretty quickly. Um, your vegetables, starchy vegetables, which are peas, corn, and potatoes, those are all about 15 grams of carb for half a cup. Your non-starchy vegetables, like your broccoli, your cauliflower, your spinach, um, tomatoes, zucchini, your summer squash, um, all of those are going to really be only... I mean, very trivial in the bigger picture. We actually consider most of the time those to be free vegetables, or I'm sorry, free foods, in that they are very low in carbohydrate, um, and they usually have 15 grams or less per serving, and a serving is three cups raw or a cup and a half cooked. Most people, we have problems with getting them to eat that much carbo or that many vegetables, so um, most of the time for those non-starchy vegetables, you don't really need to worry about counting the grams of carbohydrate. Meat and meat substitutes. Meat and meat substitutes, this is your protein category. Remember, they don't affect your blood sugar that much. And they don't affect your blood sugar that much because they have either no, pro or, I'm sorry, no carbohydrate or very, very little. So your meats and your meat, subs group and your meat substitute group is really mostly just protein with variable amounts of fat. Okay? Um, you want to choose lower fat options except for fish and peanut butter. Fish is high in omega-3 fatty acids. Very, very healthy for you. Um, peanut butter is another very healthy type of fat, as I commented on earlier. It's a monounsaturated fat. Um, most of your other fats, though, in those meat products are going to be saturated and not, not as good for you. Um, moderate portions, think about three to four ounces of meat, which is a deck of cards. I went to Champs a couple weeks ago. <laughs> i got to tell you, I looked at my plate and I thought, wow, I think I had three chicken breasts on my plate. I mean, they were big. And... I, I'm just amazed. Is anybody amazed in here, too, at how big the, the chicken breasts are in the grocery store? I mean, I picture the chickens being about this tall. I mean, these mutant chickens that are huge. Um, three to four ounces, a deck of cards. That is a standard serving of meat. So, again, getting back to that whole portion size. And, again, remember, meat's not going to really affect your blood sugar levels that much, but 
total calories do count. Um, if you look at four ounces of like a skinless chicken breast um, compared to four ounces of pork spare ribs, for example, the calorie difference is 260. So, and all those extra calories are from fat. The protein content's about the same, it's all from fat. You think 260 calories in the bigger scope of thing, you know, maybe eat 1,600 calories a day. Not that big of a difference, but keep in mind, an extra 100 calories every single day for a year, which is not that much, is 10 pounds at the end of that year. You do that for a whole decade, that's 100 pounds. So you start to see where weight just starts to creep up, as, you know, especially as we get older. So small, small changes can make a big difference. Okay, so protein foods, we know protein's not going to affect the blood sugar that much. As far as combination foods, things like casseroles, um, lasagna, spaghetti with meatballs, macaroni and cheese, generally one cup is going to be about 30 grams of carb. Okay. Um, Pizza, thin crust pizza, a quarter of a 12-inch is going to be about 30 grams of carb. Um, and you really want to make sure that you're sticking with the thin crust. If you go thick crust, that's where you're going to get tons and tons of carbohydrate. So Pizzeria Uno, um, you know, those really thick ones. The, what's the Pizza Hut one now where they have, they have an extra crust and they've got, like, the pepperoni and cheese in it? It's like a whole other pizza on the outside. I mean, that kind of stuff's really going to pile on your carbohydrates. So... Okay, um, restaurant food, we talked about this a couple minutes ago. If it's a chain, try to look up the information. Um, if not, you're just going to have to estimate it. But be cautious with portions. Um, you guys have probably all heard this before, and you know the portion size is just huge. We really have really, really bad portion distortion in our country. And it's, you know, it's not only the extra calories you're getting, but you're also getting a ton of extra carb. The thing that you need to think about with the extra calories when it comes to blood, sh blood sugar or blood glucose levels is that you know, the more excess body fat that we have on us, the more risk then that you have of developing some form of um, blood glucose problems. Just because what happens is when you have a lot of extra um, fat tissue, a lot of adipose tissue on you, your insulin resistance may go up. Okay, I see, I see a lot of patients where the doctors, I think they must suspect that the person's going to develop diabetes. They actually test their insulin, and if their insulin levels are very high, they actually will send them to me for counseling. And we counsel people on a diabetic diet somewhat. Because when your insulin levels are high, that means your pancreas is secreting more insulin to get that sugar out of your bloodstream into the cells. It's trying to bring the blood sugar down in your bloodstream, okay? It's bringing that sugar down and shuttling it into the cells where it's supposed to go. And, you know, it may be that if you are eating a lot of extra calories, your pancreas then has to, to secrete that much more insulin to bring your blood sugar down. Um, and after a while, this is, you know, this is how some people develop diabetes when their, in, their bodies just can't produce as much insulin as it needs anymore, and then the blood sugars just creep up. So you can really exhaust your pancreas um, if it's working overtime trying to secrete a large amount of insulin, a larger than normal amount to bring the blood sugars down. Does that make sense? Does everybody kind of follow me on that? Okay. Um, with alcohol, moderate consumption is okay if your physician approves of it. You always want to take into certain risk factors. You know, we know that moderate consumption of alcohol is beneficial when it comes to heart disease, can relax those blood vessels. Um, but then if you're a woman and you have a strong family history of breast cancer, um, you probably want to think twice before drinking much alcohol because we know that alcohol, even moderate consumption, can increase your risk. Um, moderate consumption is one drink for women and two drinks for men a day. Always with food, never on an empty stomach. Um, if you have high triglycerides, you should avoid alcohol because it will usually push your triglycerides up higher. 
Um, and just be careful, you can actually cause kind of rebound hypoglycemia with alcohol. Um, and then the other thing to remember is that alcohol will stimulate your appetite. Um, the problem with alcohol is that it stimulates your appetite and it weakens your resolve and your body does not really register those calories very well. So you're taking in extra calories from alcohol and your body's not really registering that, that well. Um, if you are going to drink, you're best to stick with um, either beer or wine or a mixed drink that has a non-sugar or um, a sugar-free mixer. You know, if you look at like um, Don Pablo's, the margaritas, or any kind of like a pina colada or a Long Island iced tea, any of those, um, they are sometimes seven, eight hundred calories. And usually all of those extra calories, once you remove the alcohol, obviously it's coming from sugar. So we know what that's going to do to our blood glucose levels too. Okay, so in summary, carbs are, are what are going to be affect the blood glucose levels the most. You want to try to get in at least half of your calories, your total calories from carb. Um, and cal carb counting is an effective way to monitor um, and help control your blood glucose levels. Um, you need to read labels, not just for carbohydrate content, but also for you know calories and sodium and everything else. And if you need to, you should lose weight. Or if you're already at a healthy body weight, then try to maintain weight. That's very, very important. And physical activity, as I talked about earlier, remember physical activity will help to naturally bring your blood sugars down. Most people, because we typically eat our larger meal in the evening, it's real advantageous if you can go out and take a walk. Take a 15, um, 20, 30 minute walk after dinner. That will help to bring your blood sugars down. Okay. So that is really it. Does anyone have any questions? I'm sure I cannot have answered everyone's question or everyone's questions in here. Yes. Uh, can we just come to you without going through our doctors and desire insurance cover? If you have OSU insurance, you are actually covered for three free visits to any of the dietitians over there um, in the outpatient clinic um, a year. And so it's wonderful. You have no copay. You have nothing to pay. You do need to go through your physician. Um, typically, you don't have to go to your physician. You can call them up and say, you know what, I'd like to go see one of the dietitians for you know whatever. Um, and they'll fax over a referral and set you up with an appointment. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real nice, um, it's nice if you have OSU insurance for sure. And I saw two questions here too. Uh huh. I was wondering on your monthly insulted food today, what is tofu? What is what? I'm sorry? Tofu. Oh, tofu is considered a meat substitute. And you will see um, tofu is one of those foods, just like cottage cheese. Cottage cheese for half of a cup has four grams of carb typically. You will see some carbohydrate in tofu. So you want to take that into consideration, but it's not a large amount. So because it is low in carbs, it is considered to be a meat, a meat substitute. And it's higher in protein. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your weight loss class and a little bit more information about that. Okay, we have, there's, there's a few different programs here at the university. Uh, what we have in our department, the Nutrition Services Department, we actually have what's called the LEARN program. Um, it's a really good program. It's a 12-week program. And actually, again, if you have OSU insurance, you pay the full amount, but you get reimbursed for 50%. The cost of the class is $250. It's, um, you get a 10% discount if you pay the full amount the first night. And again, it's a 12-week class. Um, we're getting ready, actually, starting one tonight. Usually, we have between five and 10 people in the class. Um, and it really, we focus a lot on behavior modification. Because as I can tell from the lack of questions, most people know what to do, what not to do. It's a matter of really changing habits. I think this is. Honestly, I think this is the main problem that we have in this country. I think most people, we really do know what to do. It's just, it's, it's hard to do it because of all the advertising out there because you do go to restaurants and you get five, you know, 
five meals in one if you get a chance. You get, you know, I don't know how many meals. Um, but, you know, really trying to establish new habits and then practice them is what most people just need help with. Okay. So, how, how do we get in touch with you can give me a call if you're interested in signing up. Actually, um, people just call us directly. And my phone number is 293-7024. Yes, you're welcome. Any other questions? Uh-huh. Is your material available online somewhere? This is going to be on the podcast, right, Marianne? And then um, those booklets, you can actually get on, if you're interested in the exchange booklet, you can order that through the American Diabetes Association. Or like I said, I, I would have to check, but I think that we could probably actually sell one to you too. They're not that much, but. The reason I was asking is some of the other classes, they hand out the presentation materials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just decided to save a few trees today. Um, so if you wanted to, you could, they can download that, right? You can download this presentation. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Force you to go to the website and look at some other things. <laughs> Any other questions? Oh, yes. What is a high number of her triglycerides? Anything over 250. So we want to see your triglycerides um, under 250. You know, there's actually, if you have high triglycerides too, there are several things that you can do. There's a lot of good research out there that shows that omega-3 fatty acids will bring them down. So I usually recommend, to, you know, people should be eating salmon a few times a week and also almonds. So 20, about 24, 25 almonds a day. And I've had, I've had a lot of patients with high triglycerides who just do those two simple things, as well as, you know, cut back on simple sugars and alcohol, and their triglycerides actually come back to within normal. Uh-huh. What can you do if you have a high craving for sweets? Well, <laughs> I'm with you. I know. I know. Other than nuts, what is good to eat? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Be careful with nuts. Nuts are, they're extremely good for you. Um, a lot of patients that come to me, those people who eat the mo I mean, who eat nuts on a regular basis, those people usually have the best lipid profiles. They have good cholesterol numbers, good triglyceride numbers. You have to be careful with nuts. A quarter a cup is about 200 calories, and that's about the most that you'd want to eat in a day. It's about a quarter a cup, which is two tablespoons of any ground nut, almond butter, cashew butter, peanut butter. Um, so they're very, very good for you. You want to eat them in moderation or they'll cause weight gain. And then, of course, that can cause another whole host of problems. If you have a sweet tooth, the number one thing I would say is, you know what, you should give into it in moderation. And that is the number one problem. We really try to avoid this. You set yourself up for a binge. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's largely portion control is what it comes down to. And so maybe thinking that you're going to spend, the, the easiest thing I could tell you to do is to allow yourself 100, maybe to 150 calories a day of something sweet. If you want to break that into, you know, a couple pieces of chocolate, a piece after lunch, a piece after dinner, um, you know, whatever it is. If you can stick to 100 to 150 calories, you're probably doing just fine. That, I mean, you have enough wiggle room for that. It's when you, you know, go to the Cheesecake Factory and <laughs> talk about portions. Okay. Anybody else have any questions? Okay. Well, feel free to email me. Um, my email address is going to be on the presentation. Let's see. Let me go back here. It's just it's Liz Wineandy, my last name, um, at osumc.edu. So f please feel free to email me, or if you have any questions, you can also feel free to call me. Oh.
restart slideshow. There we go. Is that better? OK. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming today. I hope you learned something, um, and we met a few of your objectives. So yeah. appreciate it. You're welcome.